Hello everyone, my name is Paul Goddard and I'm one half of the Agile Pubcast. The other half is Jeff Watts and welcome to episode 54. In this episode we talk about metaphors, how we use metaphors as trainers and how people tend to respond to them in our classes. We also talk about interviewing Scrum Masters and what the type of things we're looking for in a Scrum Master interview process. So, what we do now is we play a really snazzy jingle, you sing along and then we get started. Let's go! Okay, Jeff, we're live, not live at all, we're recorded. Well, I'm alive. <laughs> I said live. Good evening. Yeah, good evening. Cheers. Cheers. Which one do I start with? I've got, I got two, two beers in front of me today. So we're at a special, this is a craft ale pub, isn't it? Yeah, it's called The Cask. The Cask, it's on, give me a street. Tatchbrook Street. Yeah, in Pimlico in London. Tatchbrook and Charlwood. Yeah. And I can see my breath. It's, it's proper, chilly. proper autumn slash winter. Yeah, it's getting there, isn't it? You're huddled up in your coat. We're sitting outside because it's a bit <laughs> noisy inside, so hopefully... Um, mm. <clears throat> but no, we've, yeah, we've come outside to get a bit of fresh air and a bit of quiet. Mm. But it's an interesting pub because there's, there's a, probably the widest choices of ales and, yeah. and, and, and drinks we've had for a long time. And that time. was just on tap. There were three big six-foot fridges next to the bar as well. For oh, I didn't cans even, I didn't, and bottles. I didn't and, even see those. Yeah. So you, you've gone for a two-half-pint option. Well, Explain. I, strug- I struggle to choose. Um, Don't like a choice, do we? Uh, when, I, when I get choice in front of me, I like new. And there were so many to choose from, I, I really struggled to pick one. And plus, they were bloody strong. God, yeah. So the first one I've got is 9.3% for an ale. <laughs> 9.3%. That's like a Smirnoff Ice type... type uh, well, Smirnoff Ice smirnoff. is 5%, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. It's stronger than that, then. Yeah. I mean, it's almost wine level. Uh, and it's called <laughs> Marmalade on Rye. That's the name of it, isn't That's it? the name of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Marmalade on Rye. It's an IPA. It, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it's dark, it's sort of red colour. And the other one I've got is very yellow. Looks like pineapple juice. It does, does look like pineapple juice because the froth as well. Uh, what's that one called? That one's called A Fog. Never Known A Fog Like Never it. Known A Fog Like That or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And that was, I think, that's, that's, a, that's a measly 7.3%. So. <laughs> so, it's ladies and gentlemen, it's an early night for Jeff tonight. So it's very citrusy. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure. We, I think I'll start with the, the stronger one. Give us the marmalade on give us the, Here uh, we go. Your, uh, the appraisal of that, of that drink. And my first impressions are it's, it doesn't taste that strong. So I've tasted beers weaker than that that have tasted stronger. Right. Mainly Belgian. That actually doesn't taste that strong. It's relatively easy to drink. It has got a bit of a Belgian flavour to it. Um, yeah. I'm gonna have another sip just to. It's not. It's not got a particularly strong fl- uh, smell, right. the, whereas the other one does smell quite citrusy. Yeah. It's more. It's kind of. It's a bit ruby. It reminds me a little bit of Hobgoblin. Oh, is it comparing it now with other, other ales? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a bit of. I wouldn't say it's marmalade though. It's more. 
I'd say it's more berry than marmalade. Is it fruity? But, yeah, it's nice and it's easy, a lot easier to drink. Though, You're not getting oranges through it then. Not I'm good. not, but maybe that's. I've had a curry, so <laughs> we have just my had a palate's curry, probably yeah. not at its most sensitive. <laughs> and you've gone for. I've got to be very careful how I say this, Jeff. <laughs> well, I've gone for a pint of pheasant plucker. Yeah. That's pheasant plucker <laughs> with two peas. That's um, a pleasant. And uh, I've got to be careful how I say it's quite strong. Well, I think it's four and a half actually, which isn't that bad for a cider. But um, I've had a, a nasty experience on pheasant plucker before at a different pub <laughs> in a different place at a different time. So I've got to be careful with this, especially how my language might descend as this com- uh, this podcast goes on. Okay. So, but What's it's, it like it's, compared it's to your quite cl- obviously it's um, uh, the taste of apples, obviously, but it's it's cloudier and it's. Um, it's quite sweet as well, but it, and you know you get the impression that it feels like a bit of a more of a rough, mm. rough texture. A bit more of a scrumpy. Yeah, a bit more rough than, than the usual kind of uh, cider. So it's not a, it's not a it's not a Granny Smith kind of apple. It's like a Cox's Pippin, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And a red red apple. I, I've got a feeling that I've been made with red apples. Okay. All right. I almost sounded like I knew what I was talking yeah. about then. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think you should. I think you should steer away from the absolutes and get more into into metaphor. I think you should say, if that cider were, a if that cider was a um, was what uh, was a was a car. car, it would be a kind of a Volkswagen Golf. No, it would be it would be cheaper than a Golf. It would be something like a a Vauxhall Astra. Okay. There you so go. So reliable. Yeah, it's done about 120,000 miles. Yeah. So it's, you know... Lived in. Yeah. But it's, it's got a good engine on it. Yeah, it doesn't pretend to be anything that it's not. No. But it's no, it's, there's no airs and graces with it. It's not going to win any awards. Yeah, okay. All right, <laughs> good, good. See what I've done there? Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Metaphor. Metaphor came up. So, yeah, we were at the conference last week it came up. We should probably explain that, shouldn't we? I, I, I enjoyed the Lean Agile Brighton. That was a new one, wasn't it? So that was the first Lean Agile, yes, inaugural uh, Lean Agile Agile Brighton 2018 on the seafront at um, Brighton. But that came up in, um, was it Caitlin Walker's session that talked about that first of all? The idea of trying to, and I think it's a real, it's a tough, it was almost like a, a divided crowd at that point, wasn't it? In terms of some people can really get a metaphor, some people can really... Uh, Nigel being a good example of someone who thrives on and um, responds well to metaphors. But some people just don't. Some people find that very hard, an abstraction to make. I love metaphor when it's not about me. (laughs) What I struggle with is, uh, I said to you in the session, it's where's that coming from? I I struggle with that. We're trying to put a location on your feeling or a location on your question, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I do like a good metaphor because it allows me to wander. As a teacher, it makes things easier to explain out, I find. Yeah. As long as you if don't you get too hung up on it, because all metaphors are yeah, rock, aren't yeah. they? By definition. Yeah. Some metaphors will connect with uh, some people more than others. Mm. Um, but no, I, yeah. I was giving, um, <laughs> giving one of the clients that I was working with last week uh, and the week before they were struggling with um, finding time to do their deliberate practice. Right. So they're supposed to be practicing a certain technique and certain skills and certain behaviours. Yeah. Uh, about eight or nine of them, and they were they were struggling. And they, they said we had a Slack channel, and they said how you know, everything was very so busy. And I told them the story of the lumberjack who was too busy to sharpen his saw. 
and basically introduced that metaphor to them. Yeah. They, they ran away with that metaphor and started going about how actually what they really need is a chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not a, not an axe, not a sharper axe. Yeah. Or a sharper saw. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then so what are, are you using? Seeing you talking about a chainsaw, are you using the right tool? I told them the other story of the lumberjack who was wandering through the forest and saw a man trying to chop down a tree with a hammer. Yeah. And uh, no, 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 you're using the wrong saw, uh, using the wrong tool. Mm. And he gives them the saw, and he walks off. The lumberjack walks off, you know, very happy in the knowledge that he's helped this person do their job better. And as soon as the lumberjack's gone, the, 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 the man carries on trying to hack down the tree using the saw in exactly the same way that he was using the hammer, just oh, hitting the tree with it. Really? Uh, so a fool with a tool is still a fool. Yeah. Uh, and just because you've told someone this is the tool to use doesn't mean they'll use it correctly. Um, and they, they, they actually really quite liked the idea of the metaphor. They were really running with it. Mm. And I think it helped them understand their situation. Really. Mm. And then we've done a lot with, with the meta metaphors in retrospectives before where people can try and... We did one, um, so we did a retrospective at the end of the gathering. Obviously, I won't share what we talked about, but <clears throat> Mark Summers, our scrum master, came up with the metaphor of the... He went with the whole London theme. Okay. So he went with, obviously, it was the London scrum gathering. <coughs> So um, he gave us the metaphor of the bus. We were on, we were on the, the, the London bus. Nice. Um, and we were on the, the journey from, uh, from Dublin to London. So okay. it's kind of the last gathering was in Dublin. Yeah. And the bus uh, was uh, on that journey. So, so we had kind of, what else did we have in the metaphor? We had kind of attractions that kind of sparkly things yeah. that we still saw along the way. Yeah, yeah. We had bumps in the road, and we had some mm -hmm. policemen that might have been stopping things okay. that you know, blocking blockers. Mm -hmm. We had like little diversions and road junctions that we went off on. It was quite clever how we did it, and people found it a lot easier, I think, to tap into memory mm. in a retrospective. Certainly by um, by doing that, it was quite. It, was, it just made it a bit more um, light-hearted, bit safer. Yeah, definitely. I think people found it easier to connect with things when it's not doesn't seem as Serious. Mm. So that was good. It went quite well. Good. I've heard people. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things I've done in the last few months is help people who are trying to find jobs as scrum masters. Okay. And um, struggling with interviews and application processes and things like that. And so one of the one of the things they've struggled with is they've been asked questions in interviews about metaphors. Okay. And said, so, yeah, um, if if can you give us a metaphor of Scrum in an organisation. Right. If you were to explain Scrum without using yeah, 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 that yeah, language, yeah. or how would you explain the role of a Scrum master without talking about Scrum? And like you said, some people really take to that and they'll come up with some crazy metaphors. Uh, and some people really struggle with it. But Scrum was one of the metaphors that we were told Ken used to use was the idea of a shepherd, wasn't it? Well, it was a yeah. sheepdog first sheepdog. of all. The sheepdog got, again, the people latched onto that too much saying about. Sheepdog wasn't a good analogy because treating people like animals and sheepdogs that bite their sheep get put down, all this type of stuff that you know. So you've got every every metaphor is is helpful, but every metaphor is probably dangerous in, in another respect, isn't it? So you've got to be careful. You don't. Um, I think knowing the limitations of your metaphor, it's not about finding the perfect metaphor. It's finding something. Isn't that isn't it about what works for you anyway, rather than well, I don't know. It depends who the metaphor is, metaphor is for. If that makes sense. You know, if it helps. And I'm trying to explain to my daughter about, you know, um, or my son about something, I'm trying to think of an example we've used it recently, but um, 
when you're trying to explain a, a theory or how something works, if you can if you can attach it to something else that they can understand, it does it does help. Yeah, it? they can relate to. Yeah, like um, I don't know, is Rebecca Rabbit, Peppa Pig. Yeah. Is there is there anything in the Peppa Pig world that you could use to make a metaphor for Scrum? Probably, yeah. Now you've got me on Peppa Pig now. Oh yeah, and we probably shouldn't because <laughs> it's probably I don't know, probably breaking thousand copyright laws. Yeah, just mentioning it. But um, no, it's, it's, it's I do get asked quite a lot actually. <laughs> it, so, it just made me sorry, it made me on. think about Swiss Tony. That's what made me think. Right, but that that so would that, only be relevant to two <laughs> percent of our audience. <laughs> I know it was funny. It was. Funny. So Scrum is like making love to a beautiful woman. I'm going to be careful what you say next. Go on then. Run with that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but it was. Um, for those that don't know, this was the Far Show, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it the Far Show. So the Far Show was a UK uh, sketch show. I'm going to say late 90s. Yeah. Um, Mid 90s. And there was uh, who was on the Far Show? Paul so Whitehouse. Paul Whitehouse. Uh, uh, I can't think of the actors now. Uh, Thompson. John Thompson. Yeah. There's a few British um, comedians. Charlie Day. It's a sketch show. Caroline Quentin. Yes. And who's who's the guy who played so and so in Harry Potter? Anyway, um, but it was a, it was kind of a, a, a cult mm. TV uh, one of my skit shows. show, and there was a character on it called Swiss Tony, who was a second-hand car salesman, um, and there is a bit of a stereotype in the UK for a, a second-hand car salesman, and uh, Swiss Tony would basically compare anything that anyone talked to him about to the meta, to, to the. It's just very much like making love to a beautiful woman, and that's where I'm going to stop with that for, for fear of getting into trouble. Yeah, but it. He struggled. Sometimes it made sense, but sometimes he just got carried away yeah, with his yeah. own metaphor. And yeah. I think when you're using a metaphor, I think knowing, I think for a lot of people, they're put off by the by the idea of metaphor yeah. because they feel they have to get it perfect. They have to get it yeah. correct, and yeah. that's not ever going to happen. So first of all, knowing that there's there's some some value, but it's limited. Yeah, should help free you yeah. up. And then actually, if you can understand and explain where that metaphor finishes where it stops being useful and that, I think that helps the power of it and it also if you're in an interview situation for example that that gets across to the people that are interviewing you that you know the limits yeah. and you know where it is appropriate and where it isn't appropriate it's an interesting thing isn't it scrum masters being interviewed I think me and you have had this conversation before whether it was recorded on one of these or not I don't know I can't remember getting to the point now um, 25,000 listens in. Yeah, we've hit a bit can of a milestone. Can we really remember every episode that we've done? I don't think we can. This this podcast is now, I'm, I'm quite happy to say, is global. Because um, somebody came up to me at the gathering, and I've told you this, Jeff, but I'll tell the audience. Somebody at the uh, Global Scrum Gathering London 2018 uh, came up to me. I was just walking through sessions, kind of just sticking my head in, trying to get an idea of uh, what was going on and people were happy. And the guy looks at me, kind of with a very quizzical look, from his table and he kind of beckons me over so I obviously go over and try not to interrupt the speaker but, but dip down and, and, and ask him is everything alright thinking something was wrong and he said he said to me very quiet voice he said are you the guy in the podcast and, uh, and I said yes yes I am it's me I'm Paul nice to meet you so and he was I'll give him a shout out if you like he was Runa from Norway I'm not sure whereabouts in Norway but but if anything, this podcast has hit Scandinavian waters, Jeff. Yeah. Well, and Japan, I think, as well. Has it really? Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's definitely, def definitely listened to in America, definitely yeah. listened to in Japan, and Australia, and now Scandinavia. There you go. That's and, global. And enough. South Africa. So I think it's north, south, east, and west yes. for us. We've, 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 we've done, done it. it. We've done, done it. it. We've made it. We can. I wish I could say we could retire, but <laughs> this we this, make no money from this. No one's paying this is us a cost. For this. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing this for you. This is for love, purely for love. Um, what was I saying? So, on the subject of scrum masters being interviewed, do you want in an interview? Do you want a scrum master to be the type of person that knows scrum inside and out, is very comfortable with the process, very comfortable with doing what they're told, or do you want a scrum master who's a bit of an ass? A bit of a, an awkward, awkward mm. one. You know what I mean? I think we I do. I think we have discussed this before. A kind of nice or nasty scrum master approach, but do, in an interview situation, because it's difficult because you want the job. Yeah. Let's say you do want the job. Yeah. yeah. But you, equally, you don't want to be a peer a pushover and a, a you know, a kind of a, um, a job's worth. Yeah. You want to appear a little bit like you. You've got principles. Yeah. Which could potentially people might see that potentially jeopardising their their chances. Well. Um one of the one of the keynote speakers at the gathering, yeah, I was really pleased to see was Tim Harford. Yeah, and one of the things he mentioned in his talk was about how diversity is important. Yet, as human beings, we tend to gravitate towards people that we like. So yeah. you get you go to a networking event. And he gave an example of a, of a, uh, a study at a networking event where everybody went there with the express permission to meet new people and to spend their network. But they put tracking devices in their badges and they tracked where they went and they only stood with the people they knew. Mm. So the only people that they actually met were friends of friends. That was it. And okay. So even though we express objective of going to expand your network, you don't do it. So even though we know it's logical and it's beneficial, we, as human beings, we tend to avoid it. And um, he, was, he was then talking about uh, experiments where teams were given problems to solve and it was like a murder mystery thing. So they're given problems to solve on their own, yeah. uh, suspects, clues, and everything. And when you're on your own, I think they solved the problems in like 44% of the time. Then they were allowed to work in groups where they were friends, yeah. like they worked with their friends, and they solved the problem more. They yeah. It was something like 55% of the time. Okay. Yeah. And then they could solve the problem with a group of their friends plus one stranger. Okay. And the, the teams would their friends and one stranger solved the problem significantly more, something like 70% or something. Uh, and it gave a number of explanations as to why you're, you're less lazy yeah. in your arguments. You yeah. have to question yourself more. If you're worried about your argument being picked apart by someone you don't trust, you're more willing to challenge somebody because you, know, you don't worry about hurting their feelings so much because they're your friend. Yeah. Uh, and you're generally thinking different things. You're not as in tune with yeah. the same thought patterns. Yet, we don't tend to do that. No. So I think the best scrum masters that I've seen have that rapport with the team. So they understand where they're coming from, they can empathise with them, but equally they can be that, almost that, that provocateur, that stranger, that, stranger. That, you know, that sounding board, that, that contrary opinion. Something reminds me of something, um, so again, a call back to one of the speakers at the gathering was Neil Malarkey, a good friend of mine who's um, obviously an improv guy in the um, Comedy Store Players. And, and the Comedy Store Players... I remember interviewing Richard Branch um, the, on the piano. Mm. People most remember um, Richard Branch. So I interviewed, interviewed him for my book. I expect a round of applause, I've seen Richard Branch on the piano. Every, <laughs> yeah. every time the, said. He only got a, 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 yeah, kind of a, a call out at the end of every episode from Clive Anderson. But um, he's now in, he has always been an integral part of the Comedy Store Players group. And I was interviewing him for the book, and he said um, they need 
So they have the idea of cameo players, the, the, yeah. the guest players that come in once, usually once a week because Paul Merton can't do twice a week. Um, but he says it's not out of necessity, it's something they feel, uh, sorry, it's not out of um, uh, obligation, it's something that they actually actively go out and they'll go and find new guests. Something basically, fresh. yeah, basically to keep them on their toes, to, to stop them being lazy yeah. and to keep them, um, you know, to, else they would get, he said they'll get complacent. When it is just the, the five of them that have been together for that long, they do get complacent and you get used to each other, probably, and he saw it as a detrimental thing. He said, we couldn't survive without our guests. That mm. was what he was saying, which I thought was interesting. That I thought, if anything, they'd prefer not to use guests. But yeah. he actually saw it as something that's vital to the life cycle of their, of their show. Well, it's a potential limitation of self-organisation, isn't it? Yes. So, at the extreme of self-organisation. Self-organisation isn't binary. There's different degrees of self-organisation. So some teams will actually be self-governing and they will, they will determine who they hire and everything. And, and in that situation you hear a lot of people who a lot of organizations where teams are involved in hiring their people yeah. and the team decides which seems like a very sensible thing to do it does team fit is a good thing yeah but actually having some kind of diversity yeah. is probably a good thing but knowing that it doesn't come naturally to us we do tend to err on the side of likeness mm. is important mm. but then a team that's mature and self-aware enough to realize that they do have a bias will perhaps be better suited to to pick someone who is a little bit different. Mm. But I think that's where Scrum Master can come in, is helping a team become more aware of their uniformity. No, I think it's, um, I think there's probably a, once, there's probably a limit or a, a sweet spot mm. as to how often, how frequently, how much, what percentage that team is checked, because too much obviously you get into the the team completely has to reform every mm. time that yeah. happens. But I think um, every now and again, I think it's actually quite a healthy thing. Yeah. So I think that's is that that's something that so you've heard people get asked um, in an interview whether you are. I just think it. I think it was an interesting. Um, I can't remember who I was talking to about it, but I think as someone who was, was was either going for a job or was either had come out of a job interview process. And I was talking to them about, and they asked me basically, how would how would I play it? Um, and one of the best questions I was asked as an interview, as a when I was interviewed for Nokia, was by my uh, who the guy who turned out to be my boss. Okay. It was a guy called Pete, and he asked me the question, uh, what do I hate most about the agile process? Nice, nice. Um, what was your answer? I think I, I thought on my feet, Jeff. And I think I said, I think I said the word agile itself. I kind of, kind of, kind of uh, curveballed it slightly. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I said how. What do you how, mean by that? Well, the, how the word itself has become overused, and okay. people are, are using it without really understanding what the principles well, are. We're agile, so we don't need to be disciplined. And I, yeah, like and I was, okay. uh, I was commended on my answer okay. by, by Pete. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. So. Um, but you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, I think it's. Yeah, when you, I mean, there's, there's, there's kind of, there's almost interview questions that you can probably plan for. I get lots of things like that. They're going to try and catch you out, but. So I think I'm now on to my second. Oh, second. Uh, Pineapple this, juice. This is the frog. <laughs> I've never known a frog like it. Go on, we're going to need to do another taste. So this is very citrusy. I mean, you'll, you'll be able to smell the citrus in that. Oh, it's like fruit, it's like fruit juice. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be sweet. 
No, it's more sour. Is it? Yeah, it's more sour. Than, it's not sweet. It's sour. And I, we, I, I can't remember the number of the pub, pubcast, but quite a while ago we went to a bar where I had a sour beer, and I do quite like a sour beer, a lambic ale. And yeah, this, the, there's a, there's a, a dissonance between the smell and the taste. Just like in in the previous one, the smell was not strong, but the taste was. Here, the smell is stronger than the taste. Right. Yeah. It doesn't taste very fruity. That doesn't really have that much of a taste, is it not? No. It's a little disappointing. Oh, I'm sad. It's all right. It's all right. Not as good as the other. You prefer the other one, then? I did prefer the other one, but I, I, I'm glad I didn't have a pint of 9.3%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have got to get up. and We're working tomorrow, Jeff, so you've got to be... Uh, yeah. You've got to have a clear. You can't have a foggy head tomorrow. So, <laughs> so if this beer were a scrum master, I'll have another sip and see if I can <laughs> run with that metaphor. Would you hire it? <laughs> no, I wouldn't hire it. Wouldn't you? I would say it's, it's all... Bark and no bite. Really? Yeah, I don't think it's got as much. It's enough, it hasn't got enough backbone. Yeah. Um, it's pretending. It's, it's not pretending necessarily, but it smells. It's not coherent. It's, it hasn't got integrity. It doesn't know what it is. No, I don't think. It, I don't think it does know what it stands for. Uh, it's a little bit bitter, and I think scrum masters need to be a little bit more positive. Uh, we need to be focused on glass half full rather than glass half empty yeah how would you think you would f- I mean how would what would your tactics be in a because in a, you do hear about some horrible interviews like the kind of Google interviews didn't Google re- re- um, release a book or something about, about the interview process in Google well, somebody there's a lot of urban myth isn't yeah. there about what the Google interview process is yeah about if you were a centimetre <laughs> tall in a blender how yeah, would you get how would out, you get out? Like that? And, and they say the clever people would know that you know the, the kind of if you were the size of a flea your muscles would be an equivalent strength so you could just jump out yeah. of that type of thing rather than but yeah I don't I don't I'm not a massive fan of the whole lateral thinking is it there was another question I was so I was involved in a few interviews at um, Nokia for when I was up there then to, to hire other scrum masters and one of the guys basically asked a question around uh, like a Rubik's Cube question like a, okay. like a math and I didn't I mean I didn't know how to answer that you're a physicist. I know, no, but I know one of the questions was, you've been, you've been um, offered the job of cleaning every single window in Seattle, how much would you quote? Really? Is that a Google question? I think so. Right. I mean, it might be urban myth, but it's yeah. one that sticks in my mind. And, and as with most of, these, most of these things, it's not about getting the correct answer, it's you know, how do you approach the problem. Mm. Uh, and so I've got no problem per se with those kind of questions. But I, I, I don't, I don't know, it's hard to put yourself in that position, isn't it, of, of being in an interview process again. It's, it's stressful, isn't it? People aren't at their best when no. they're under stress. No. And it's hard to be creative when you're under stress. Mm. Uh, perhaps that's part of, the, part of the process, I don't know. But when, you, when, you are in, when you're under stress, you're in survival mode. You're not in creative mode. You have tunnel vision. You don't have broad vision, out-of-the-box thinking. So you're, you're putting people... I think it also depends a lot on the the person being interviewed as to what, are they are they in a the per, their personal situation where they need that job. Yeah. Are they in a situation where they're looking to they have a job but they're looking for under their next yeah. stepping stone. And you, I think I would approach it very differently. So when I was when I was hired for Nokia, um, 
I was just leaving BT. So I didn't necessarily have the security. I knew I needed a job. And I also had a baby on the way. So I knew I needed a job. So, you know, I didn't... I probably wasn't... I was probably a bit safer. Played it a bit safer yeah. than, I, than I would do now, I think. Yeah. But I think your personal circumstances do play a huge role in how you want to be perceived. Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of people just see that. If they're, they're very good at interviewing. A lot of people are just very good at, 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 at conducting themselves under pressure. And some people don't do themselves justice. No. No. Well, I would say most people don't do themselves justice in an interview. But then I was part of... One of my roles at BT was interviewing. Was it? I, I took that into account. I tried to take that into account anyway. And give people a little bit of leeway. I was, I was never bad cop. I didn't want people to. No. I didn't want to make people fail, put them under so much pressure until they crack. That was never my style. But I know some people that was, that want to see how far people go until they break. And I just think that's cruel. Mm. Any experience with that? I can remember one. So I wasn't in the interview, but in Nokia, I was um, a guy who was who wasn't hired mainly because they they feared he wouldn't be able to handle the pressure. What kind of pressure? Well, I think it was he was moving from public sector to private sector. They were right. worried about how he would, in that kind of more ruthless entrepreneurial environment, would would be able to adapt and be able to make tough calls you know, that, 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 in a quick, okay, in quick succession. So I can't I can't remember the, the process. I wasn't involved, and I can't remember. I'm not obviously. I, I wouldn't say who it was if I did remember, but. Um, I remember people kind of being ruled out for, for that that kind of experience and background because they didn't think they fit the mould. But you don't, I don't think you want someone that fits the mould. You know what it I mean? It takes a lot of courage to break the mould, and that that was. I think it really depends on whether people know what they're recruiting for. And we've talked at length about this before. The idea of a lot of those job ads, those interviews are arranged by people that don't really <laughs> don't really know what a scrum master is. Yeah. So if you're the CTO of an organisation and you go to your... So Pete obviously didn't know what he was talking about when he hired you. No. So. No, he didn't. Well, maybe he regretted the whole thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, you don't know what you get, what, what you get yourself into. Oh, I was hired as, as a software development manager in, in, in Nokia. I wasn't hired as... as the word Scrum Master was not on the job title. Okay. It, wasn't in the, it wasn't in the recruitment... Same kind of initials, though, manifesto. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think... I think you're looking for someone with the right principles. I think I think that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, see, I quite like creativity. That's what I'd be looking for. I'd be looking for not um, not just accepting the status quo, not in a rebellious way as such, but I'd be looking for creative ways of getting around problems. So here's a different question. Would you be looking for someone who knows your business inside out? No. Okay. Tell me more. Why not? Because I think if you know the business inside out, you, you assume things. Right. I, I quite like, I think I'm quite effective when I go to an organisation where I don't know. Where you're most, at your most neutral. Yeah, I think so. You have so. no bias. Yeah, because I think I ask silly questions. I, I question things that they just take as... Because I, I think that would be an unusual, I think that would be unusual for those who are in that but I think that's, that goes quite back to what I was talking about earlier on in that 
naturally we know that we have more to add in a facilitatory style where we can be more neutral but actually our, our, our self-defense mechanism will pull us back to a domain where we're more comfortable of course it will, yeah. and so yeah, when I left BT the last place I was looking for was another telecoms company and the first place I went to was financial services then I went to software, uh, computer game development then I went to pharmaceutical and I went from industry to industry. Where that I was a, deliberate, or was that? Well, it's part of my personality. Yeah. But equally, I, I, I even when I was at BT, I didn't, I, I didn't know how phone worked. I didn't know how networks work. I still don't know how networks work. I still don't know how the internet works. I have no idea how how all this cloud thing works. So, <laughs> I was quite comfortable with the fact that I'm happy operating in an environment where I know little domain knowledge. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I felt better at that. And I find it much, I find myself falling into the trap of giving advice when I know what I'm talking about, when I prefer to not give advice. But this is the thing, people are, I'm saying people, I'm generalizing massively. I was attracted to companies where I have an interest in what they're doing, for right, right or for wrong. And Nokia Music is a good example. Nokia Music hired a large proportion of their staff were musicians because yeah. they, they like music and they like and, and they like they were passionate about the product and they they were good people and they, and they were they enjoyed being in the office and mm. you don't want to completely eliminate that I think that helps but I do agree with, I, I see what you're saying that it could it could uh, come with some assumptions on how you think or how you expect things to work and I think in that situation if you've got a vested interest and the company being successful, as, as perverse as it might sound, it can it can lead to you being more reserved yeah. in, in doing what needs to be done for that company to be successful. It's easier to take the more comfortable path. Mm. Um, and I, having worked with so many companies over the last 15 years, this is, should I say this? I might, um, we might edit this, I don't know. In general, I'm kind of disappointed with every company that I work with and think, how the hell does this company make money? There's just so much dysfunctionality in there. And I don't, you know, people say never meet your heroes, don't they? Because you'll always be disappointed. Well, if you've got a, a brand that you like or a company that you like, never don't work for don't them, work for them yeah. because you don't want to see what goes on in the kitchen kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit cynical, but. <laughs> All companies have their dysfunctions. It's normal, just yeah. like all people. Have their no, I mean, and even the companies that are out, put out there as, as the iconic companies to work for. Yeah. I'm sure we'd find flaws and frustrations in, in any company because yeah. there is no perfect. Um, <laughs> I think that's part of it, and that's that's part of going all the way back to Tim Harford. That's part. That's that's part of his message. His latest book is called Messy. I think it's called Messy. Yeah. Uh, not as in Lionel Messi, but as in Untidy. Yeah. And how, um, actually, to be successful, yeah, keep going. You need to, you need to embrace the mess. Mm. It, having having the stranger in your team disrupts the harmony. It, it requires you to be a little bit more inefficient. And those teams that have the stranger in, that was the interesting side side thing to this is that the teams that had the stranger and although they were more successful they solved the crime they solved the puzzle more than the teams that were with with their friends the teams that were with their friends felt better about it yeah. 
and they thought it was better. They thought the result was better, even though it wasn't. And the teams that had the stranger in didn't enjoy it. They actually thought it was less effective. They thought it was uncomfortable, but it was more successful. You have to have that certain amount of discomfort to really be the best. I got a bit passionate there. Obviously, it's it's a subject that's closely hard, or it's two half pints of very strong ale. (laughs) At least I managed to not slur my words, so I'll go for the former. But there's probably a good place to to call time. Before I have too many more pints of peasant fucker. I mean, peasant. (laughs) Peasant fucker, no. Peasant plucker. There you go. That was deliberate. That was just for the fans. Yeah, you say that. (laughs) It wasn't deliberate. Uh, Oh, dear. Anyway, yeah. So, well, I think sure. I think we should celebrate. I, we've talked in the past about you know when you're doing something and it's out there and it's a little bit new, you've got to celebrate your successes. And I think twenty five thousand listens is, is worth celebrating. I'll drink to that, cheers, mate. And cheers. cheers to everybody who's who's listened and subscribed and downloaded. I think I think we should run with this scrum master question thing. Okay. I don't know interview thing. Maybe if people have had yeah. difficult interview questions tweet them comment them or if you're actually interviewing for people and you found a really useful question that's managed to separate the what do they say the wheat from the chaff yeah very good yeah um, let yeah, us know let us know and we'll, we'll discuss them I think that could be an interesting one so, or yeah. product owners I, I don't know I'm not bothered tweet the agile the at the agile podcast or tweet at Jeff C. Watts or at Paul K. Goddard yes let's let's, uh, let's, do, let's do some more of these later on it's good to see you again mate alright take Cheers, care bye bye cheers everyone ta